You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Looks sunny tomorrow. Yeah, twenty three degrees. Oh yeah. So tomorrow's day will probably look. I'm a big believer. Chronomid era, higher lake. Um, I'm a big believer in bank hours or just just a, like a little bit of yep. excess sides on on bank hours. So probably leaves uh, Chilliwack here at about six a.m. Uh, I'm gonna rip up to probably just past Merritt on the five a, probably in stump area. And hopefully be fishing by about 8.30 um, with my uh, buddy Nolan if he, he still hasn't texted me back. But uh, I got some of the, those guys from the Far Gone Media Group. Um, you know, they're always down to go for a fish. So um, one of those guys will probably come with me tomorrow. Uh, we'll rip up there. We'll be fishing by about 8.30. And I'm one of those guys that when I'm on the water, I'm on the water. So got a soft cooler with snacks and drinks in it. Um, we're, you know... Ideally, we have two different boats, but uh, probably tomorrow will be a, a one-boat situation. And um, yeah, we'll be we'll be sitting out there playing around, catching fish all day till about four or five p.m. and load the boat back up, grab some food and merit, and, and make the journey home. So it's uh, it's a you know pretty all-around day on the water for a good you know nine ten hours and and wow. uh, catch as many fish as we can. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Well, we're super happy you joined us for this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We're going to do what we love to do, and that's uh, seek out passionate people in the fly fishing space, get to know their story, find out what brings them to the water, um, and talk all things fins. Of course, we've got Jeremy Duick on the line. Uh, really stoked to have Jeremy on. We've chatted on and off uh, for a little while now, and we finally lined up some schedules. Jeremy is out of uh, Chilliwack, B.C. with Pacific Rivers Outfitting Company. Um, they are a, a great shop in Chilliwack, featuring Loop, Watermaster, Peak Vices, Sims, um, all things fly fishing, and much more. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time. 
Hey, thanks for having me on, Mark. I really, really appreciate it. This is a, a huge honor for me. Well, at, you and I were chatting uh, a few times, well, at the show, at that BC Outdoors show some time ago, and I was really impressed with uh, your entire crew. I mean, everybody seemed to really know their stuff. You guys were all um, at those peak rotaries tying up a storm, and uh, and some of the, I know you got the loop rods and you got the water masters, um, and we can talk all about that, which I'm sure we will, but I always want to start the show and kind of get a little history on you, a little background. So you seem like a real outdoorsy guy, um, whether it's skiing or fly fishing, but why, why don't you start at the beginning? Kind of where did, where did fly fishing first show up in your hood? Yeah. Um, like fishing has always been a, a huge part of, of what we did as a family. Um, you know, every, you know, long weekend, we just had May long this weekend, but like, you know, Father's Day, everything like that, we were always camping at some forestry site on some lake somewhere in BC. And, um, you know, uh, fishing was always just a huge part of it. And my dad um, was a, was a giant part of, of how I got into fly fishing, my brother and I, um, he, he was one of those uh, adopters in the early 90s that uh, kind of, you know, the river runs through it adopters, I always like to call them, like that, <laughs> that huge push. Yeah, I'm familiar. Um, yeah, he uh, he got into it with all of his buddies in his early 20s and the early 90s and, um, you know, fell in love with it. And that translated after, you know, as my brother and I grew up and my sister, he was sick and tired of untangling uh t- terminal tackle lines and so he introduced us to fly fishing as early as we possibly could trying to <laughs> sort out um rather than having to untangle any any lines he figured it was a little easier to untangle a fly line that's fair comment so did, did now did you grow up in chilliwack or the fraser valley like, where, where was home originally for you yeah so uh i actually grew up um in white rock okay down in uh white rock bc and then so we we got a lot of fishing like off the docks early on um like we would just go down to white rock beach we'd go fish for bullhead sculpin do the crabbing thing do you know it was a really good way to get kids into into the sport um and then when i turned uh, 11 or so we actually moved up to salmon arm in the interior there hmm. and uh that's where fly fishing really took off. We lived, you know, on Shushwap Lake and have all the surrounding lakes that, that, you know, the Okanagan and the Thompson have uh, going for them. And it's a quick jaunt to Kamloops. So we, we really, really dove into the outdoor lifestyle kind of when we moved into the interior. That's cool. I, I lived, I spent some time in Salmon Arm too, uh, uh, right upstairs from the Shoe Swap Clothing and Shoe Company. I remember going down to see the guys that was at Askew Foods. They used to always have a bunch of fly gear in that store. Yeah, Askew's and then uh, West Side Stores. Oh, that was the, always the big one. It. Yeah, that's West, it. sorry. West, that's it. Yeah, the guys at West Side Stores always took care of us. It was, uh, they're, they were excellent. Myron is, I would consider, one of the kings of chronomids um for sure he's he's a very very uh knowledgeable angler and was um you know always willing to share a lot too which was awesome so he's a really good person to like glean information from you know whether it's a pattern or Hmm. a depth or a lake or you know some sort of tactic it was awesome so did you know uh jordan ulrich at all i don't know jordan no Hmm. yeah i know he spent some time in salmon arm too well, I'm Maybe not, a bit after my time. Well, I'm going to say salmon arms are not as small as it used to be either. There's, uh, <laughs> It's bigger than it used to be. But it's yeah, definitely boomed. 
And it's such a beautiful spot, right? If you if you haven't been there, it's in the Shushwap in in kind of uh, BC interior, and just well, I mean, the Adams River is not far from there. You got White Lake, you got all those Kamloops still waters. It's just uh, there's lots of options, right? Yeah, I always call it a like a really good like hub of BC because you're mm-hmm. you're an hour to Kamloops for fly fishing, you're an hour to Kelowna for um, like sports or, you know, go to a Rockets game or something like that. And you're an hour to Revelstoke for skiing. You're, you're mm-hmm. an hour in any direction and you're in a, like a world-class place for that sport. Yeah. That's a good point. So, okay. So we know where you got your start when it comes to fly fishing, but if you had to look back and name some names, like kind of who influenced you and, and that could be people, you know, that you worked with over the years. It could be like your dad, it could be, could be out of a book man who, who kind of influenced you jeremy uh, on the way yeah i mean i would say definitely uh, my dad and my uncle are my two biggest influences um they really instilled you know the 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 catch and release fly angler side of of who i am today kind of at a core um but then you know i I always really like, you know, I was a stillwater junkie, especially in my like late teens. And as I kind of, I kind of fell away from fishing a little bit in my teens and in my early twenties, I kind of came back to it. And I always like leaned on guys like, um, you know, Phil Rowley and, and mm-hmm. Brian Chan and um, the Don and Dale Freshy, you know, though the Kings of Stillwater, right. It's right. just, it was, they really pulled me back in um, a big part of what actually pulled me back to fly fishing was uh watching the fishing BC uh, videos that they did about five, six years ago was, mm-hmm. was um, really drew me back in and the science side and the entomology side of it. I was just like, Oh man, this is what I want to do. That's cool. I, the entomology side of it is something that fascinates the heck out of me. And it just, there's so much to know as with everything in this sport it's or pastime, as you know, it's like you can do a deep dive and just really get lost. It is very easy to mystify fly fishing. And I think that's um, something that I enjoy about fly fishing, but also is something that I like to like, as now I'm, I'm coming into more of a teaching role. It's something that I'm like, how do we teach fly fishing and demystify it so that if people want to get lost in the mystery, they can, but they don't have to, you know what I mean? I do. And I find that um, it's almost like you have to, simplify it and because people people find it overwhelming it's amazing how many people i talk to about it and and they're like well you know that's going to take a lifetime to figure out which is true but the learning curve can be so steep right oh absolutely like if you surround yourself i mean a good mentor is is the pinnacle part of of being able to steepen your learning curve Hmm. um and and just a passion for learning um but i mean i feel like fly fishing has got this notion about it that it's this like elitism you know better than thou kind of Mm. sport that it just isn't it at its core it's a dirtbag sport and it's um (laughs) i like that i'm gonna i'm gonna use that quote man it's a dirtbag sport it really is right like look at the guys in europe that started the whole spay thing right it was a bunch of gillies that weren't making any money and they were just getting rich people to pay for their services to get them on fish right like yeah I, at it's at its core it's like climbing i love it man that's refreshing because that that's the one thing i've always hated about it like and i'm i'm a lot older than you i'm like in my mid-50s now but 
when I started, I was pretty young, you know, in my teens. And it was intimidating as hell going into a fly shop. You're like, man, I, 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 I didn't even want to ask a question. It was weird. But, I, you know, it's a new generation now. It's totally different. And I, I totally embrace it. I think it's like bringing it to the masses rather than this elitist thing, which for me is just all crap anyways. It's like, you know what, if you want to spend time in the great outdoors and kind of forget about your everyday, it's a good way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, you know, like with our shop, that is the hugest part of what we do is like the community outreach part. We try to make it not intimidating. Our store, if you ever visit our shop, it's, it's unlike most fly shops, it's wide open. It's, it's inviting. It's got clothing. It's got other things that aren't fishing. And it's like trying to create a space that people can feel like they can come in and ask questions and not be like, hmm. you know, you go into some of those fly shops in like little areas and like you walk in, it's dimly lit, everything's cramped. And it's just like you every you feel like everybody's judging you when you walk in. <laughs> I, I feel like that everywhere I go. But yeah, I know, <laughs> I know what you're saying. That's funny. Right? And it's like, yeah. I love it. Okay, man, I want to take some time to get to know your day-to-day. You ready for a few questions that have a little bit to do with fishing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk tunes. So when you're on your way to your favorite stretch or your favorite still, um, what's playing in the truck en route? Uh, I have an album that my brother showed me um, a long time ago now. It's it's by this band called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And... <laughs> I don't know why this is my fishing album. It's every time I'm on a road trip going to fishing, it's uh it's an album called fishing for fishies. Hmm. And it is this like indie alt rock weird band from, I think they're from Australia. And it's just like, sounds right. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. But every album they come out with is completely different from the next. So fishing for fishies is kind of like this like folky, rocky indie album it's awesome but it's the only thing i listen to on the way to fishing huh is that a superstitious thing is that uh just a familiarity what what's what's this you know <laughs> you're not mixing it up th- at all i don't know i don't know i think it's the yeah it, it's a bit of a superstition thing i think maybe i'm a hockey player did it for a long time so you get that i get that not only do i have the fishing superstition but i got the hockey superstitions mm, um got it where'd you play so hockey the, growing up uh i played for Semiamu until mm-hmm. I was 11, and then I played for uh, Salmonar minor hockey oh. uh, all the way through. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, that's a huge hockey area, big hotbed for sure. Oh, yeah. The Salmon Arm Silverbacks just made it to the you know semifinals or whatever against Penticton. So it was, uh... Yeah. Well, I live in Penn, right? And actually, you want to yeah. know a funny story? So uh, the house that I live in, uh, Gary Davidson used to own it, and that is, uh, he, he bought the Salmon Arm Silverbacks back in the day, so there is a connection there, I find. But uh, yeah, yeah, Gary David, yep, yeah, I don't know where he's at right now, but I think, he... uh, oh, my, I just saw him the other day, actually, funny enough. Hmm. Um, he was at Starbucks in Salmon Arm, <laughs> oh, right on. So, you still spend a bit of time up there, uh, yeah, I do a ton of my fishing up there. Mm. Uh, I still, it's it's an easy drive over the Coquihalla. It's, you know, three and a half, four hours to Salmon Arm. I've yeah. got a bed and a hot meals to eat yeah. while I'm there at my parents' place and, hmm. and just fish. Right on. Um, okay, so we got the tunes dealt with. Um, a go-to pattern. So if you're in the Salmon Arm area, you're hitting your favorite still, what is a pattern? Like, is it a chronomid for you? Is it a leech? Is it a shrimp? 
what's one pattern that you're putting on more often than not? Ooh, it really depends on the type of the season, but um, the lake that I grew up on, um, Gardam Lake, it, I worked at the summer camp there, and um, you know, Acronomid is fantastic, but the water warms up really fast, and you can never go wrong with a pumpkin-headed leech. Ah. An olive, olive leech, pumpkin head, any time of the season, you can strip it, you can troll it, you can hang it off an indicator, and you will catch fish. Now, do you do this balanced at all, or is this just old school? Uh, for the longest time, I did them old school, but uh, I do tie them balanced quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I use it as my searching pattern, and then if I see they're full of chronomids, you know, then then I'm switching to chronomids. But uh, it is it is an excellent searching pattern on that lake. Are your pumpkin heads in the olive vein or in the brown vein, or both? Uh, yeah, I'll usually tie them in like a classic olive, but oh. I'll also tie them in golden olive and dark olive. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, yeah. where I've had some fun with that pattern, Jeremy, is if there's uh, any bait fish and especially if they happen to look like perch, it's like, yep. man, that thing works. Hmm. So funny enough, Gardam did have perch for a long time, but they, um, the perch were eating all the vegetation. And I guess there's this rare, uh, turtle species on Gardam Lake. Okay. And so they actually nuked the whole lake. Um, they like transplanted a bunch of the turtles out, nuked the lake, and then reintroduced triploids, an aerator, and the turtles. <laughs> yeah, I know that lake quite well. It's uh, it's a decent sized lake. It's it's a lake that basically, if you live in the area, everybody knows it. It does get some pressure, but it's one of those that uh, it's a bit of a gem for sure. Can warm up though, super hot in the in the summer. It gets very warm. Like I was up there two weeks ago, and the water was already uh 72 fahrenheit like it's it's like a swimming pool Hmm. crazy okay where do you go to talk fishing so i mean it is your every day you're in the shop at uh pacific rivers outfitting company in chilliwack and i'm sure that's probably where you get a, a lot of your fix but in your words is it social media is it on the water where do you get your fill sorry not on the water i let me take that back what i'm trying to get at is when you're not out there where do you get your your kind of fix yeah i mean if you look at my instagram feed it's 90 percent fishing um i i get a lot of it i've surrounded myself with a lot of anglers as well just in my personal life so mm. you know if i'm out for dinner or beers or whatever with any of my buddies we're we're talking fishing usually so it's um i'm pretty fortunate that way i get my fix all the time everywhere i look whether it's youtube instagram twitter whatever it's it's uh do you, do you find, Jeremy, you overdose on it sometimes, or are you able to kind of curb that somehow? Uh, yeah, I definitely do overdose on it. Um, I'm very much all or nothing kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually recently had a bit of a, an overshot at it um, during uh, steelhead season down here. Um, I fished really, really hard for steelhead, and uh, right when the good part of the season hit in March – I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I'm just, hmm. I, I don't, it's not, I'll, I'll wait for still water. I'll just wait the extra two months. And so I actually just took about a month and a half, two months off. How was the season on the Vetter for Steelhead? I, I mean, I saw some nice picks, but it seemed, it's such a funny system for Steelhead. It, I mean, basically it's a hatchery fishery, is it not? It is. There is a pretty decent wild stock still. Like there, it's, hmm. it's, um, there, you definitely can get on the wilds, um, especially if you're fishing uh, higher up in the river. You definitely get a, a higher chance at wild. Okay. 
um, the year was pretty good, not only for numbers, but um, the size as well. Kind of your, you know, your cookie cutter classic size, which would typically be, you know, in your five, six pound range was, you know, up in the eight, nine hmm. uh, pound range this year. So it was, it was a pretty That's good great. year size wise. Any idea why that might be? Like, I'm surprised, you know, a lot of those fish are hatchery. So you all, I always feel like whenever I see a vetter steelhead, unless it's a wild one, it it's, it, they're kind of similar size, but I wonder what, what yeah. this year would have made them bigger. Huh. I mean, it's a, it's a myriad of factors always. It's, you know, it's ocean pressure, right. uh, ocean like feed, right. Whether they're getting, you know, good feed of bait fish or shrimp or, mm-hmm whatever right and it's like and then when they're coming back in are the big ones getting smacked as they're coming down the coast from alaska like it's yeah there's there's a million and one factors down to like you know you could even say the ocean's temperature like it's right just happened that this past four years that the the steelhead were in the ocean turned out to have a bit more feed have a bit more uh survival rate and ended up with bigger fish do you spend a lot of time up kind of between Tamahai and Allison's or are you kind of in the lower section or you just fish the whole thing? Uh, I really try to focus my time on a few runs a season or a few runs per run, if you could say it. Yeah. Like, so, uh, like I spent a lot of my Chinook run in four or five runs up a little higher. I spent my coho run a little lower. Um, and then steelhead, I, I focused it on. We did a ton of drifting this year on the river uh, during steelhead season. So I spent a lot of time uh, in the mid-river hmm. between uh, Tamahai and the Vetter Bridge where our shop is there. The first first ocean run fish I ever caught in my life was a 40-pound spring, white spring, on, on the Vetter. And I'll never forget it. It was just it's, unbelievable. It's a special feeling for sure. I mean, my first ocean run fish, I was about six years old and my dad took me for the sockeye run on the banks of the Fraser. Hmm. And I was so small. And the the way it worked back in the day is whoever landed the fish, it was their fish, right? So he would, he would fish and then he'd hook up and he'd pass me the rod and he'd, he'd say, turn around and walk up the bank. And I'd walk up the bank and just basically beach the fish. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it gets the gets dispatched and thrown in the cooler. And, you know, there's my quote. I landed my four for the day or whatever it was at the time. Yeah, it's a special system. As much as we complain about it because it, it feels so busy. And I know it's even busier than it was when I used to go um, 20, 30 years ago. But... Um, it's, it's pretty special, right? To have a system like that, that, you know, you get a lot of species of salmon up there. You get the steelhead, you got some, you got some dollies in there. There's, there's lots of opportunity. Yeah. I always like to say that, you know, the Fraser Valley is a pretty special place. Just like where else in the world can you fish 12 months of the year and have like good fishing 12 months of the year. And, and I really can't think of many other places. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Having the, all the salmon, um, the steelhead being able to fish like the cutthroat and the sloughs and you even get a shot at carp, um, down here, which is awesome. So like you get a shot at pretty much anything you could ever want. Um, and it brings people from all over the world. Yeah. Amen. Um, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you're a sports guy, but let's talk about your team. So when you're pulling, um, you know, for your team is is it hockey is it football is it basketball baseball who are you cheering for um 
I I watch I this is the most hockey I've watched this season that I have in probably since the Canucks lost in the final. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so it's like I I love sports. I grew up playing team sports. I don't watch a ton of sports. I watch the playoffs of most sport. Like I'll, I'll watch the playoffs of basketball. Love watching the playoffs of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um uh Golden State was always my team. Um and then uh you know, I I call myself a Canucks fan, but I'm one of those Canucks fans that when they suck, I don't watch them and <laughs> when they're good, I'll be like, yeah, I've been a Canucks fan for my whole life. <laughs> um so um but uh there, so who yeah. are you pulling for in these playoffs? Are you a Florida guy right now or is it Vegas? Uh yeah, usually, you know, my because the Canucks are never in the playoffs, I usually go uh who is the team uh what if there's a Canadian team in that I'm cheering for them and then once the Canadian teams are knocked out, I just kind of choose my favorite team and yeah, Florida is is the go-to right now for sure. Yeah, they're, um, they're exciting to watch this year. I I got to admit I haven't watched a lot of NHL hockey in a while, but I have been dude. watching uh well, there's so many overtime games this year. It's out of control, right? It seems like every game's going overtime. And like they are, you know, it's a Cinderella story for these guys too, right? It's it's um it's it's crazy. Just they weren't even supposed to be there and now they're yeah. You know, they they win tonight. I, I don't even know. I haven't checked, but yeah. Well, they um, got past Boston, which was probably the hardest thing they're going to do all year. And they just like as we're filming this, uh, they just knocked out Carolina for uh, the. I had it on. Too. They're going. They're going to the Stanley Cup final. Oh, sorry, did I ruin that for you? <laughs> Oh, sorry. No, I'm not recording it. I uh, oh, okay. It's funny. I I wanted to talk fish, and I kind of had a feeling they were gonna. It was they were up three two with like five minutes left, I think, when I called you. Huh. Cool. Yeah. Good for them. So, yeah, good for them. They're going to the Stanley Cup final. So I'm, you know, I don't really care for many teams in the West right now. So. Yeah, I feel that. Um. So let's get back to my little my little question list here. So um, fill in the blank for me. When you're not fly fishing, what what are you normally doing? Um, I am usually honestly I'm a I'm a big uh, video game man. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a video game player. I I spend a lot of time on the computer uh, in my evenings and my free time. What uh, what game? Name a couple games you like to play. Uh, you know, the new, uh, Legend of Zelda came, just came out. Um, it's, it's fabulous. It is probably one of the best games I've ever played. Guys, we're uh, talking play a about lot of... that at work. Uh, it sounds like it's pretty, pretty good. I, I know nothing about gaming, but, um, they were, they were talking about it like it was the, the, the latest and greatest. It, it is a, it's a pretty special game. They, you know, it's a, Nintendo never misses. They haven't missed since the eighties, really. Um, they, they spend time. It's, it's quality over quantity, which is really rare in today's space, um, in the gaming space. So it's, hmm. it's nice to see it's refreshing. Um, and it's, it's a really fun game. So it's what I've been sinking most of my time into. Why do you think in your words, you spend so much time on the water? Like, what does fly fishing do for Jeremy Duick? Yeah. Um, a, one thing I always say is I always call fly fishing the great healer. Um, it's, you know, it's respite. It's adrenaline. It's, it's everything I like about adrenaline sports. Um, and it's everything I like about uh, like team sports, especially if you're, if you have people to fly fish with. Hmm. Um 
because it's almost like you versus the fish or your team versus the fish. Um, but it's also like golf. It's individualistic. It's, it's, it's everything. Fishing is it all encompassing as a sport. It, it challenges you mentally, physically. Um, it's a puzzle that you will never solve. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's always revealing itself in a new way. And I think that's what keeps me coming back to it. Are you doing your best job so far? I mean, I, I, I got a funny feeling you are, but, um, what's the best gig you've had to date? The best job, honestly. Yeah. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, like I've been in the retail space for about six years. But, um, you know, being in the fishing space specifically, I've never been so like in a place with people that are like-minded, um, about fishing and people that want to train and want to learn and, and challenge themselves to be better. Um, which I think is rare in a lot of fields. Um, yeah, this is where I'm working is, is the best place I've ever worked. Where's the worst place you worked without slamming any companies like what's the worst job you've had yeah yeah um well in 2020 i our i was working retail and it closed down and in my teen years i worked electrical and uh so i picked up a job with an electrical firm uh during 2020 and it i realized very quickly why i quit it and it's just it was soul sucking. It's, it's not even like a bad job. I like it. I'm good at it, but it just drains me hmm. mentally. It drains me physically. It It's just, it's not giving or fulfilling in any sort of way. And it's just like during that, you know, first few months of 2020, that was easily the worst, uh, the worst period of work I've had to do. Did you start a, an apprenticeship or were you pulling wire? What, what were you doing exactly? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. Um, so my, I'm a, I always say copper runs through my veins. Um, my grand, my great grandfather was an electrician. My grandfather and his brother are electricians. Hmm. My dad and my uncle are electricians. Um, so my brother and I are kind of the first generation, um, to not do that, to not follow in the footsteps and become sparkies. The, yeah, there was an element of like, kind of like, I just don't want to do the thing that is easy. Like just following, you know, join the family business, do the whole thing. And right. it's like, well, it's a, so. I, I, uh, not that I really apprenticed, but I, I did work for a year or two years actually for an electrical company and started thinking in my brain, Hmm, where could this go? And then, uh, uh, you know how, when you do something, I, I wasn't very good at it. And I just basically, I got shocked a few too many times. I'm like, yeah, man, this is not, I, I had to, I had to think a lot to do that. Like it's a real, you gotta be, you can do a lot of damage in a hurry in that job and you really got to know what you're doing. Um, and there's a lot of school involved actually. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's not a dumb, like anybody who says tradies are dumb is, is wrong. Um, it is, it's a challenging trade and it has a lot of avenues with a lot of really, really smart people. Oh God. Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy what you can do with, with that trade. Um, hmm. and you know, it's, it's one of those things. It just wasn't for me. Like, it's not a bad job. I, I have um, an immense appreciation. I mean, it put, yeah. it made me who I am today. Um, 
So I, it's, uh, it's one of those things that the people who can do it and make a career out of it and enjoy it, um, I, hap- I'm happy for them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you got to follow in your path is a funny thing. And I, I, do you ever look back at kind of what you're doing now when somebody says, well, how did you come to this? It's like, you kind of go, well, I did this for a while and then I turned right and I ended up doing this and I, you end up where you're at. And if you follow kind of your, your passion, it's pretty hard to go wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have pretty strong ADHD and I had a, I had a psychiatrist one time tell me and I, I laughed at this they were like adhd is the most expensive disorder to have because <laughs> <laughs> you'll fall in love with something you'll hyper fixate on it you'll chase it with everything you have and then you'll realize you know what actually this isn't for me and then you'll pivot <laughs> and you'll do something different and you're you know in debt or whatever right you spent all this money on this hobby or or anything like that and yeah um are, are you skiing like that for you a little bit no, there's been a few constants in my in my life, and fishing and skiing are the two that I yeah. have never ever questioned, and I think that's a little bit because they've always been so seasonal. Yeah, they're complementary, right? Right, exactly, and and hunting squeaks right in the middle there as well, right in that fall area. So it's like hmm. you got fishing from May all the way through to September, October. When the ice hits, you hunt for September, October through December. And then you're skiing right till May. Yeah. Well, it's a good fit for it's, sure. Uh, and when, by the time you've done your five months of skiing or your eight months of fishing or whatever, you're like, oh, maybe I'm a little tired. And then you take five months or six months off. Sounds all right. We got Jeremy Duick on the line. Uh, Jeremy's at uh, Pacific Rivers Outfitting Company in Chilliwack, BC. They are a one-stop fly shop, but they do a lot more than just fly fishing too, outdoors uh and gear uh their loop dealer watermaster peak vices sims waders um tell me a little about your day-to-day um in the shop like what does that look like what's a normal day for you entail yeah yeah um a lot of days these days we do a ton of fly casting lessons right now uh, so a lot of times we roll into the shop, our lessons start about 10, 1030. And, and usually you're with uh, our manager, Willie, who, um, who is a certified fly cast instructor through uh, Fly Fishing International. Um, then my day kind of stems into a lot of, um, you know, kind of your classic retail, uh, but with a fishing twist on it. So, you know, customers roll in, whether they're looking for clothes or whether they've never fished before or have are looking for a new rod or whatever and usually just there to help um and and, um kind of key them in on on maybe some questions that they have uh we're out testing rods all the time we're testing new lines we're tying flies we're doing kind of a little bit of everything uh when so you actually tie in the shop and and maybe some i don't want to say downtime but like are you actually tying to fill fill boxes for sale or just what does that look like yeah, absolutely. So we do have a team, uh, a pro team of tires that tie for us commercially um, that we have filling a lot of our boxes. Um, but the staff as well are all on the pro team for tying. So we're, you know, in the downtime, if the store is clean, if there's kind of nothing on the to-do list, we're, we're tying flies. Um, I actually had a customer yesterday uh, order 20, uh, 20 chronomids. Um, so we, 
me and my coworker, we kind of had nothing on the docket for the afternoon. So we just whipped up 20 chronomids for this customer and, and got them all ready to go. What, what kind of color, what kind of rib, what are we talking here? Uh, they were, uh, ASB body, mm -hmm. uh, with a blue dun thread underneath. So it oh, gave yeah. it a really nice silvery sheen, black rib with a rusty brown collar. I like it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a killer pattern. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's a deadly pattern. So, and then we tied it. It was an interesting one. He wanted, uh, 14s with a white bead. Um, and then he wanted 16s with no beads. So we had to build the, like the head up with black thread at the head. So wow. you're tying a chronomet on a size 16 and you're using three different colored threads in one fly. It's, uh, it can be a little fun. I wonder if he's fishing those, uh, ones without the bead on a, on a floating line, just kind of hanging it there. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked, um, running a beadless chronomet, um, under an indicator, especially if I'm using like a micro swivel or something like that, just cause oh, like okay. you don't need the weight and it looks really natural. Yeah. That makes sense. I haven't actually done that. Huh. Yeah. I, I've completely switched my chronomid setup recently that in it, it's, it feels way more accurate. Hmm. So you're just building those heads up with thread for the most part. Um, a lot of times I'll do them with uh pheasant hill. Okay. So you're going, yeah, so, you're doing it like the old school kind of, um, yeah, old school. Yeah. yeah with the, the peacock curl collar. And then you take the, the, in the pheasant tail over the head yep. with the split gills and you know, the whole, the whole thing. Hmm. Um, I like those under an indicator, especially if I'm using a micro swivel, they just look really natural. I'll even do the, uh, the orange goose biot uh, gill slits as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, love love just trying out different patterns. I tied a chronomid yesterday that was all purple with blue ribs. <laughs> yeah, I because I, I was like, I let's that. try it. Yeah, hey, you don't know until you try it, and we know that purple, blue are, are great colors for fish to see. No doubt. Yeah, they 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 see those ultraviolet spectrums really really well, and and those low wavelengths. So, how's your spring fishing season been so far? I mean, has it been pretty productive? We've had um, for those of you that don't know. Uh, our areas had some pretty bad winter kill this uh, this winter. Um, some lakes seemed not affected, but a lot of them were. And uh, how's your how's your fishing been so far? Yeah, um, so like I said, I was up in uh, Salmon Arm uh, about two weeks ago, and we couldn't have timed it better. It was, uh, you know, that perfect like fifty six degrees Fahrenheit, you know, cool, stable weather, and and we absolutely lit it up for about three days hmm. um and then just spent uh three days up in Kamloops with um yeah just spent three days up in Kamloops with um uh some guys that I do some filming work with uh Fargon Media we were filming um a commercial for a company and we were up just north of Kamloops there and we we had a it was a little bit warmer the water was you know a little bit warmer and and um, but we, we had a glass room hatch in the morning, but we actually ended up having really, really good success in our afternoons for two days. Um, so yeah, no, it's been, it's been really good. I got about seven, eight days on the board. Um, so far I'm hopefully going up tomorrow to merit and yeah, just, just doing as much as I can while I have my days off. Have you got a go-to glass worm pattern? I don't honestly, uh, glass worms scare me really yeah, bad. I'm with you. Um, 
I I usually if I'm in boat by myself, I'll usually just hang a tequila bob or tequila booby beside a chronomid and hope for the best. Hmm. Yeah, um, I, I usually find I tried sorry, tying, no, as you say, I tried tying some of those up, and I have had some success, but they're they're such a small pattern, and you kind of got almost like it's almost like they have two beads on the on the fly, right? Kind of rear end and front end, so it's kind of like uh, if you've ever looked at those glass worms, it's like they got two black dots, one on either end, and yeah, uh, it's a it's such an unmimicable pattern, which is so frustrating. Like it, yeah. I've seen guys try it with you know vinyl d rib midge size or or you know wrapping um mono like really thin mono down the body or something like trying to make like a blood worm style or something like that Mm -hmm. but in clear but i just haven't found anything that's produced at all (laughs) yeah that's a tough one Uh, usually when that's happening a lot of people go without fish yeah, it's, uh, I find something like a stimulator, like that's where the, the, the tequila blob comes in. I'll tie a bead headed blob and I just hang it under an indicator right beside a chronomid. And it's usually enough to maybe not be skunked. <laughs> you right. know, the, the fishing's never great, but it's enough to not be skunked. Are you a, uh, throat sample guy? Lots of samples uh, with the vial when you can? Yeah, usually I'm sampling every half an hour to an hour or so. Um, you know, I, I find that the chronomid hatches are usually consistent for about 30 to 45 minutes. So if it's lights out, then I'm fishing and I'm catching. And, I, you know, as I feel like the the time between fish starts to lengthen out, then I'm like, okay, it's time to time to throw a sample again and see if something's changed or, or maybe move spots. Yep. It's amazing, amazing how quickly things can change. And, and by the time you realize it, sometimes it's too late. Oh, absolutely. The, that first throat sample is, is the key for sure. Just getting that first fish on the board is, is, is the trick yeah. really more than anything. Or, or you'll have that day out there where it's like, uh, all of a sudden the fish you're taking, let's say caddis pupa, but you're not necessarily seeing the adults yet. And it's like, man, if I would have known that like an hour ago, if only right. Or as, as those mayfly yeah, yeah. hatches start down lower, like as the, as the nymphs start to kind of start wriggling and doing their thing, if you don't realize it till after the fact, it's like all of a sudden you're on a dry and it might be too late. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I mean, that's one thing about fly fishing, right? Is you always have to be so perceptive of what's happening, right? Like you're looking in the water, you're looking not just at the surface film, but you're looking, you're trying to look as far down as you can to see any nymphs wiggling around. Right. And it's like, yeah. So especially like mid June when you get into smorgasbord season, right. It's I'm, I'm constantly like going either a searching pattern or if I see duns flying around, I'll throw a mayfly pattern on or something like I'll throw a pheasant tail or something on as well as a chronomid. Cause you never know what they're going to be keyed in on at that specific time. Well, this, this time of year, like, uh, late may early june you're bang on it's like it's a smorgasbord and you really got to do your homework because it could be it could be dragons it could be damsels it could be chronomids it could be anything right so um, i mean half the time you do a throat sample in in late may early june you've got literally everything like you've got you can even have gompus like like you can have literally every possible thing on the board oh yeah and you're like you get like stopped by indecision almost like you're like what do i pick like do i do i focus on one thing do i try three different things at the same time or i can just get but two different things at the same time like i got a i uh, I got a damselfly a glass worm a blood worm 
a water boatman, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, I, exactly, I feel that. exactly. Hmm. So really, at that point, I just pick whatever I'm most confident in, which is usually chronomids because it's just it's not to call it easy because it isn't easy, but it's um. You get that. It's the in. one I know the best. It's the it's yeah. the yeah exactly yeah. Um, let, let's talk about what you're fishing out of. Like, so I know you guys sell water masters and that is one sweet craft, but, um, on the still, what are you normally fishing out of? Uh, on the still, I mean, it depends. Like, uh, we have a shop, uh, water master Kodiak that, uh, I've been using for the still down here for the cutthroat stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 10 foot craft, one man. Um, and they are unbelievable. They weigh like 25, like 30 pounds. They're so light. You can just like, you can hand bomb it. I took it down to this like little like way in lake and I just dragged it because they're so strong. <laughs> and I just like, like, yeah, screw this. It's too heavy. It's 30 pounds. I don't want to put it over my head. So I just dragged it down this hill and into this spot. And it was just like, like nothing. Like it, like it was like nothing happened. Um, so that's, that's what I've been using down here. But uh, typically in the interior, um, I'm fortunate enough to have access to a few marlins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, twelve foot marlin um, with a you know a nine point nine and uh, and a mid coat on there. It's kind of the classic quintessential yeah. uh, interior stillwater boat. Yeah, perfect, comfortable, double anchored. Double anchored, yeah. You get the you know you got the hummingbird helix on there, and and you're just you're just dialed. You just feel so confident in it, and it's so nice if you want to bring a friend or something like that. It's just so stable. You can. I was literally uh, in a boat this week, and I brought a lawn chair, and I just sat it in the low section of the boat, and I like put my feet out. And I was leaning in the lawn chair, like <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's very comfortable. Is that the helix five or seven? Uh, Helix Seven is, is the I, one that I get, uh, have I access it. to. Yeah, I knew it. It's, I got a five, but the seven looks pretty sweet. I've I've heard mixed reviews on the seven. Like, I mean, I've had access to the seven. I love it, but uh, I've heard the five is actually more accurate. But I, I can't I can't say for sure. I, I haven't used the five to my to myself. It's fish finders are funny. I've because um for years um buddy had a uh, uh what is the name of that one uh, the hummingbird uh, fishing buddy. Oh yeah, the you, classic. Yeah, and and you get to know that you get to trust it, but then you start getting into some of these higher end electronics, and and it's amazing what they can do. But I do find sometimes when they get too fancy and you get all the color screens, the batteries don't last as long, and sometimes it's like there's too many features, man. I just want to see the structure and the fish, and the t- I don't I don't need to see the eyeball and and how many spots it has. You know what I mean? It's like I don't, oh, I, 100%, I don't need that. Hundred percent. You're loading two like marine batteries into the back of an, a, like a 10 or 12 foot boat. It's just like, you know, you look like one of those squatted trucks from Texas. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what uh, you're saying. It, it, but uh, it's overwhelming. And then there's so much to know, right? Like, and I, when I'm fishing, at least the last thing I want to be doing is working on my fish finder. Yeah, except the the fish finder, I mean, the, the really good guys, the, the, some of the mentors that I have, like, they're like, why would you fish when you have a fish finder? Why wouldn't you just cruise around and not fish and or, or pre-fish like the bass guys do and just find the fish first and then fish for them? And I'm like, oh, I've never really thought about that. Well, it's a fair comment. I mean, we do that. Well, um, well, I had Ryan Ermit on the show, uh, Stillwaters, Alberta, and he said uh, he's fishing with Phil Rowley, and he's like, you know what? 
it's it's three fish on the finder and seven shucks or we're not stopping (laughs) yeah yeah exactly uh, right it's like if i don't see at least two to three fish i'm not stopping like oh there's one oh okay yeah you know yeah it's, uh, well they stack and, the, and chances are you're probably finding a hatch a lot of the times when you when you come up out of school oh yeah exactly right there you know they like i've always found like kind of my traditional methods pre-fish finder days was like you know find a weed bed on a shoal at you know nine to 15 feet yeah and then just hang your chronomet over that weed bed and you're usually in a decent spot mm-hmm. and it, it works but uh fish finders definitely work better <laughs> yeah yeah, fair enough. Hey, have you had anything bizarre happen to you on your time in the water? Like, um, I always like talking crazy fish stories, like whether it's wildlife encounters or uh, just bizarre things. Anything come to mind? Mm-hmm. Let's go. On. Um, was it last year or three years ago? Uh, we were on this lake a few years ago, and we it was, you know, classic loons are starting to key in on you, right? It's, uh, they're trying to get a free meal. So we're fishing and the big ones, the, the loon couldn't catch, you know, your classic 20, 22s, but, uh, we caught a couple of kind of dinker 16s and we would release them. And on this one release, we released it and this loon came in, swiped it, grabbed it, swam probably 300 yards away from the boat, came up to the surface started to gulp it down, but started choking on it. And this bald eagle, I kid you not, came down and took the fish right out of the loon's mouth and flew away. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, no, that was a, it was a, huh. one of those things you're like, holy crap, did that just happen? Like, was that, we just saw, was that in the cantaloupes area? Uh, yeah, just north of cantaloupes, yeah. yeah. I had the sun, same same thing happen, north of cantaloupes. Huh. It's bonkers when yeah. that happens. Like you're yeah. just like, am I the first person to see this? Like, is it yeah. this actually happening? That's wild. That that you um, know darn well that that eagle has done that a time or two. Oh, many times. Yeah, I mean, you know, those loons are so opportunistic, and then the eagles are even more scavenger opportunistic. It's like, oh, hmm. struggling with your meal there, buddy. I'm gonna <laughs> just yoink. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But uh, like it. Why don't you paint us a picture of your perfect day? So if you're heading out tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. what's the weather like? Who are you hanging out with? Um, is there something cold to drink at the end of it or during? Um, paint us a picture of your ideal day. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow is, uh, I don't know what tomorrow's weather is. What is tomorrow's weather? Uh, it's pretty quick. good. It's pretty good on my end, I'll tell you. It's high pressure starting to take over. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Looks sunny tomorrow. Yeah. 23 degrees. Oh yeah. So tomorrow's day will probably look, I'm a big believer, chronomid era, higher lake. Um, I'm a big believer in bank hours or just, just uh, like a little bit of yep. excess sides on, on bank hours. So probably leaves uh, Chilliwack here at about 6 a.m. Uh, I'm going to rip up to probably just past Merritt on the 5A, probably stump area. And hopefully be fishing by about 8.30 um, with my uh, buddy Nolan if he, he still hasn't texted me back. But uh, I got some of the, those guys from the Fargon Media Group, um, you know, they're always down to go for a fish. So um, one of those guys will probably come with me tomorrow. Uh, we'll rip up there. We'll be fishing by about 8.30. 
And I'm one of those guys that when I'm on the water, I'm on the water. So got a soft cooler with snacks and drinks in it. Um, we're, you know, ideally we have two different boats, but uh, probably tomorrow will be a, a one boat situation. And um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be sitting out there playing around, catching fish all day till about four or 5 PM and load the boat back up, grab some food and merit and, and make the journey home. So it's uh it's a, you know, pretty all around day on the water for a good, you know, nine, 10 hours and, and, wow. uh, catch that's, as many fish as we can. That's a big day. Like I, sometimes I don't appreciate, uh, some of you guys down the lower mainland, the travel time you put in, like for me, that's an overnighter. It's like, I used to do that back in the day, but it's like at the end of that, you're ready for a nap. Oh yeah. You drive that like, you know, it's only two and a half hours, but you drive, you know, five hours or six hours in a day. And you're in a boat in the sun for eight, nine, ten hours. It's it's it definitely makes for a very long day, hmm. um, but worth it every time. <laughs> I hope that wind stays down for you guys because that can whip up in there. That's the only problem I have with that area. Well, any area on the still, it seems like a lot of them are fairly, you know, they're not usually that well treated. A lot of the productive lakes and those winds just rip through when they can. Absolutely. I, I usually try to, um, a big, a big thing I found, and this is partly living on, uh, you know, Shushwap and, and visiting, um, uh, Kelowna a lot was North South lakes blow up way harder than East West lakes. Amen. So if I take a look at the forecast and I'm looking at, um, you know, 10 kilometer winds in Kamloops tomorrow, I'm, I'm looking at an East West lake. I'm trying to find whatever close East West lake I can find. Um, cause I know that that's probably going to be a little less blown up. Yeah. Well, that's a good tip for sure. And, and it's funny how you can even get some of the, like I, I look at the wind forecast a lot more than I probably should. And it amazes me how often it's like 20 to four, 20 gusting to 40 gusting to 50. And we're talking kilometers here, but those are substantial winds when you're trying to, you know, look for hatches. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, one thing I learned from a mentor of mine um, of long ago is that a lot of guys fish the wind um, improperly, or not improperly, but they could be more effective in the wind. Um, and it's, you know, just because it's windy doesn't mean the hatch isn't happening, mm-hmm. right? And so what? 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 This guy, or with it's Willie, who's from the shop, actually told me it's like, you know, if it's windy go to the other bank where the wind is like, go to the bank that the wind is hitting yeah. at the forefront. Right. Um, and be downwind, but fish as close to the bank as possible. And all that feed is getting pushed into those banks yeah. uh, as it hits the surface. And so you're fishing yourself like right in that, like right in tight on that wind side. And, and, you know, cause a lot of guys will be like, Oh, it's windy. I'm going to try and break the wind by being, as far out of the wind as possible, as close to like where the wind's right. hitting the water. Gotcha. If you're on the other end and you're in where that three feet is getting pushed down to, like you're right in that zone where the fish are going to be feeding because fish don't feel wind. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and that's, that's always been a, well, that's a, that's a good belief is that food's getting pushed and, and it does. And it, it kind of stacks up in one area. I was fishing Corbett Lake a couple of years ago with John Wilkinson and, and he, it got, it got just like you described on Corbett and he threw that drogue out. And I'm telling you, if, if I got to figure this out because that was a game changer. So you just kind of go 
with the wind, but that drogue is slowing you down. You're casting ahead, so you're sneaking up on fish in shallows. And man, that that was amazingly effective. And it made me look at it go, I hate it when it's windy, but maybe I should be liking it and changing my tactics. Yeah, I mean, you know, when it's windy, if it's if it's really windy, going with, you know, a heavier sink line or, or even... Even if you're just chronomid fishing, if you're the classic two anchor chronomid fisherman, like, you know, switching to an intermediate tip just to break that surface film so you're not getting pushed around by the wind so much is a huge game changer or a midge tip, right? Well, um, think of how many times you've caught super big fish when it was windy. All the time. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. It's, it's, it's the riffle gives that the fly the motion, right? And it's like... Yeah, those bloodworms are getting uh, pushed up off the bottom and all of a sudden they're feeding exactly exactly and i mean usually usually right like uh like a high pressure system follows a low pressure system which usually leads to high wind right so usually a like Mm -hmm. high wind is indicative of a rising barometer which is right when fish like to feed so it's like yeah it's it's, you're in that so if you want to get nerdy and technical about it you're you're right in the zone right when that wind pushes in yeah that's good stuff well, hey, man, I'm so glad you took the time. Like, we've been talking about having a chinwag for a while, and I'm, I'm glad glad we made time. I wish you luck on your trip tomorrow, man. You should uh, check back in with the show and fi- find out how you made out. I'd like to, or better yet, send us some photos, and we'll use that to promote the show. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll let you know how it goes tomorrow. Uh, yeah, still hit or miss whether it's going to happen, but I'm um, trying to make it happen as much as I can. If you're in my neck of the woods, give me a shout, man. We'll, we'll wet a line for sure. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We've been chatting tonight with Jeremy Duick. Jeremy is out of Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. He is with Pacific Rivers Outfitting Company. Look them up. Um, they're Loop, Watermaster, Peak Vices, Sims, and much more. Uh, Mountain underscore Duick. You can find uh, Jeremy. And we're actually, throw some social media out there because I know you got some, some YouTube stuff. Where, where do we find you? Uh, yeah, um, you can find me, I, my main, my main social that I use all the time, the place you can get at me is, uh, at mountain underscore Dewick, uh, D-E-W-I-C-K, uh, on Instagram. That's, that's, that's the best place to find me there. Um, yeah, that's, that's or we pretty can, much the Or one. we can find you in the shop. <laughs> yeah, or find me in the shop, Pacific Rivers Outfitting. You can, uh, you can always order online from us, PacificRivers.com. You can check out what's going on. We got a community uh, tab there with an events calendar so if you want to learn how to fly cast you want to learn how to you know learn some tactics or something like that just uh, come chat with us thanks for joining us this time around we will find another passionate person and talk fishing next time until then tight lines thanks for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast powered by the flycrate.com your source for all things fly fishing Wait For It Films, featuring fly fishing videos and camera-related content. Custom music from Damian Anderson and by BrokenTippet.com.